0: You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers, as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today... I don't know what tone to use when talking about the Indiana Pacers because they sucked last week, and they got embarrassed on Friday in Charlotte, and Rick Carlisle pulls the starters and sends a message, and then the Pacers responded exactly how you'd want a team to respond to said message if you're a fan of the team. So good response, bad that the message had to be sent. Lots to talk about with this team, and they've got a really tough opponent in Chicago tonight and joining me to talk about the Pacers, what they're doing, the Chicago Bulls, a man who writes for so many websites, I need, like, yankety-sacks to play while they all scroll across the screen so people can see them all. Mr. Jackson, Frank himself. Jackson, how's it going? Doing well. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm, I don't know what I am in such a good mood for this Sunday, but I am doing <laughs> excellent. And I am excited to talk about this Pacers team. Jackson tweeted something to this effect on Friday, and he was absolutely correct. The way the Pacers are using DeMontis Sabonis is not to his strengths. And that is exactly where this podcast should be started because... Sabonis' touch numbers and the way he was getting the ball and the way he was being used this last week were different-ish from the Sabonis we've seen in the past. Against the Knicks, it was pretty good for a lot of the game, and then they went away from him. Then he shot seven times against Detroit, and then six times against Charlotte. They weren't giving him the ball in the high post. They weren't playing through him in the deep post, and they looked useless. And then he got the ball out against the Pelicans, and they kicked some ass. So Jackson... You watched the Hornets game in full. I don't know how much of the pelicans Pacers game you watched. But what were you seeing from Sabonis that looked so off from what he's so good at? And by the way, everybody, Jackson used to cover Gonzaga. So he has more Sabonis <laughs> knowledge than most people do. Uh, he was right
0: He was right before my time, actually. We never, we never crossed paths. He had his breakout year when I was a senior in high school. But uh, yeah, that Hornets game, you know, he was just, he was either pick and popping or he was standing in the corners for plays. I remember there was one specific play, uh, I think it was in the second half, the Pacers ran a, a, ball, a side ball screen for Miles Turner the Hornets switch like they usually do and, and Turner were trying to post up and Sabonis was in the weak corner. I think Plumlee came over because he was just ignoring, you know, Sabonis because he's not a very good shooter. Uh, and even if he is, you're, you're willing to give him those threes. Uh, and Plumlee just absolutely erased Turner at the rim. And it felt all backwards in that place specifically. Like you want Turner spacing, you want Sabonis in the post, especially like it's a switch heavy it's undersized, you know, interior team like the Hornets. And so, um, just not enough of, not enough of, you know, attacking, uh in, the, it, in general, not enough attacking in, in, inside, but also especially against a small team like the Hornets, it felt like a great... And then what, the first game of the year, someone said, what, 20 points in the first 14 minutes or something ridiculous? Um, so there was a clear blueprint for that game, especially with that opponent. And so it was just weird to see him so often, you know, just on the perimeter, being used as a spacer when he's not really a spacer. Um, you know, it's one thing, you know, a guy like Miles Turner maybe isn't a great spacer, but he can knock it open shots when they come to him or open threes. Sabonis isn't really either of those this year, and so it was just really weird to see him utilized in that way when there's been easy ways and examples of success, you know, attacking the interior with him.
1: Yeah, if he he can be used as a threat away from the ball, I think, but not like that, you know, not in the weak corner because he's shooting horribly this year. Like if you see thirty percent, it looks awesome, but it's like I think he had two games where he made it. like It was four for six on opening night. Uh, and two for three against Philly and three for four against New York, and the rest of the games are all substandard three-point games, so he's really inflated by three games. He's not a good shooter. Uh, I don't know why they would stick him in the corner like that. He's threatening from the elbows and kind of dunker spot creation areas where he can, like, hey, I'm huge. If you don't come cover me, I will just back up and score or hand it off to someone. And they weren't really doing that last week, and, and some of it was, you know, Rick Carlisle loves anyone on the court can shoot from wherever if they, if they think they're open and they have all these interchangeable roles, which is, is good at times. It can really throw off a defense, but when it's so rigid, like they were playing against Charlotte, like everyone was so lot, like I can't explain it. Like, well I can, I'll talk about it later. They played more free against the Pelicans per their own words, but they were just so like robotic, you know, they were like, okay, we got to get it to this guy so that we can do this thing. And Carlisle was kind of calling a lot of plays and that, didn't work and Sabonis wasn't in the advantageous positions I don't know why I just said advantageous like that and <laughs> it didn't work at all they come out Saturday and he's pushing in transition more and sometimes that can be a turnover fest for him um he only had two against the Pelicans so it worked out but he was pushing well in transition as a trailer he was creating they got him the ball at the elbow and something he's done way less this year that he really succeeded in with Nate McMillan and Nate Bjorkman was handoffs right he, he still does some of them but like He's the best screener in the NBA or in the top whatever, three, five guys at that. Like that's where his best thing is if you have him on the perimeter, is right around the ball, making an, an, an advantage for the pacers with a screen. So getting back to that just made too much sense. And I was surprised so much last week they were just not having him be close to the ball or involved in plays like that.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, if you're gonna tie it to the you know, the, the other big man there in Miles Turner, he's ways. like you look at that game against the Hornets, he had what, three shots, maybe four shots. And that's and that's because he's someone who was creation dependent, right? Someone else has to create an advantage, and Sabonis is the team's best avenue to do so. And if he's not in the if he's not being deployed in the in the proper way, then Miles Turner doesn't get to shoot 3s and get to attack off the dribble like you know we've seen him do the last couple of years in, in in greater frequency. So uh all of it is there's a ripple effect, right? It's not that just like Sabonis needs to get his touches so he can produce, it's he needs to get his touches so the offense can do things better. And I think the I think their numbers in general against the Hornets ended up being okay offensively. Jeremy Lamb got hot. Um, and Brad slept.
1: Wanamaker, Brad Wanamaker
0: yeah. got hot. <laughs> Brad, yeah, uh, and and all that. But yeah, it, when the when the starters are the normal rotation guys, or I guess the starters because some of those other guys helped fuel the runner rotation guys. But when the starters were in, the offense wasn't very good because the guys weren't being used properly. And there's a lot of Malcolm Brogan's shoulders, and and he's been awesome in a lot of ways this year, but. Um, you're leaving things on the table when you station, uh, you know, Sabonis in the corners, and you don't really get Miles Turner, his ability to, you know, shoot threes and tack off the catch. So um, there's a ripple effect there, like I said. And so well, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't able to catch any of Saturday's game, but it's encouraging to hear that at least for for one night, things were were back to the the way that Sabonis should be used because you know, the the Pacers can be pretty good this year, but it's going to be, you know, reliant on Sabonis being Sabonis and how that affects the rest of the yeah. offense.
1: Jackson, are you ready for some lazy, reductive analysis using numbers? Because, boy, do I have some for you. (laughs) Sabonis has five or more assists seven times this season, okay, in those games. Plus six against the Wizards. Plus 15 against the Spurs. Plus 19 against the Pelicans on Saturday. Plus one in a loss against Milwaukee. Plus 10 against the Jazz. Plus five against the Sixers. And one stinker against the Nets, right? I don't, like, yes, reductive. It's only seven games. Small sample size galore. Maybe I'm I'm losing the forest and the trees here, but it seems like getting him involved and setting him up in situations where he can create for his teammates helps the Pacers outscore the other team when he's in the game. Maybe it's not that easy, but it just when they're when they're having him not be a creator for others and they're having him be just screen roll, stand in the corner, interchange roles with Miles kind of guy, it, he's not as effective. And I think that kind of sells it the most to me because he's not a good he is a good passer, but he's not like now, I think assists are an overrated metric for him because a lot of his assists are just handoffs or just tossing over his shoulder or something. But I think that number there shows that when he's involved, at least in a way where he's around the ball, like I just said, it leads to success for this team. Yeah, I'd be
0: I'd be curious to you know maybe like in those games what his touches were. You know, we talked about you know there's been a lot of talk about his touches being down so much. He was what he was first or second in the league last year in touches behind Jokic or something um and so i'd be curious kind of i think that you know the assists. i, I don't i don't disagree i think there's definitely some some correlation there but i think an even stronger you know correlation would be the you know or indicator would be the touches because that's that's how he did his best i yes ideally in in, in in supercharged offense the bonus is more of a complimentary player but the pacers aren't a supercharged offense there's no luka Doncic walking walking that door for Rick carlisle so Sabonis is your best offensive player. Um, you know, maybe maybe you prefer Malcolm Brogdon, but um, regardless, he's he's one of your most important, arguably your most important, and so you got to use him properly. And it, as you mentioned, there's there's examples of it working, <laughs> and and I think I think especially this year, you know, we're in such an interesting space in the NBA, in that like there's not really one style. You know, for for a while, everyone tried to do the small ball, and then maybe there's a little bit of tall ball, you know, recoil. Um, but there's a lot of teams that play small. You know, the, the, the Hornets play small. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's a few others that I'm missing. I'm just using the Hornets because that's a team in question right now. But um, I think especially for Sabonis, that's someone who can just destroy all these teams that are going small. Um, and so you you got to get him the ball in the interior because he has great footwork and he's patient and he, he will pivot seven times and, and finally score with an up fake and, and step through. So um, definitely given the NBA climate currently and how there's just so many different styles and a lot of them are going small. Um, I think that that helps that helps the Pacers, and it's something that you know that get, get the ball is a bonus more inside.
1: The the poor Pelicans who are supposed to try to be big when Zion is playing, are using Brandon Ingram and Josh Hartley at the four right now, so they are currently in the small group to me. uh mm-hmm. bonus killed killed them. <laughs> they they had nothing for him. So that was a that that's another example of a team like that. But yeah, like the Cavs are are showing the huge wave can can come in and be successful again this year with. Super funk vibes from the Cavs. I cannot wait to watch the Pacers play the Cavs this year. And you live in Portland, you didn't even bring up the Blazers. I thought they were another small team that actually kind of beat the Pacers with small size. Robert Covington at the four was a big change for them. That,
0: that and they've got they've gone with Larry Nance recently at the five. The last yeah. few games, closing games. The Pistons are pretty small as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the, the narrative like a oh, small ball sweep over the NBA is definitely not the case. But there are definitely a lot of teams that are playing small this year. So um, that should work out to the, that should benefit the Pacers' offense. And but it's it's you know. Uh, contingent on Sabonis being used properly, not just being used.
1: Hey guys, quick little break so I can tell you about two awesome groups of people. First up, the good folks over at prize picks who are making daily fantasy made easy. They have the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. They offer more props than any other DFS prop operator and offer all the superstar players as well as bench players only recording a handful of minutes each game. Any prop you can think of yardage, touchdowns, interceptions thrown. They got it on there. All users, all users, that deposit and use this promo code will receive a 100 de- deposit match up to 100. Just use this code MBA when you sign up. You can do mixed sport entries. They have an award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't check it out. Don't hesitate. Excuse me. Check it out. Check it out. Prizepicks.com today. Use the promo code MBA or go to your App Store. Download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy let's also talk about direct tv because if you're like me this sounds familiar one device to watch the game live another to stream your favorite shows you're watching sports highlights on your phone or ipad and you've got your neighbors slash parents log in for the good stuff well i gotta tell you about a better way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and finally get your tv together it's called direct tv stream and it brings your live tv and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports movies and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together. With Direct TV Stream, you can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible, device required. Content varies by package. Jackson, I don't want to speak for you, but I think you're like me enough that you don't love talking about narratives. But this <laughs> Pacers Weekend kind of makes you talk about it because when you send... When you do what Rick Carlisle did on Friday, a narrative is going to be formed, right? The Pacers had a long week of, you know, they had many problems. We just discussed a few of them with usage of players and, and, you know, Karis LeVert talking about how they're not in rhythm a lot last week and stuff. But also, even per the players' admission, the effort wasn't always there. And on Friday, the Hornets started the third quarter, smoked them on the effort game. And Rick Carlisle said, screw this. All these normal rotation guys are done. He played the full bench, basically the whole second half. And it helped him that that group looked awesome and he didn't even need to pull them they almost tied that game somehow but <laughs> he sent a message and the next day you know Miles Turner said yeah you know it wasn't a good 24 hours but we, you know he kind of needed that and then Sabonis said yeah you know it sucked but it let us play more free and Carlisle said that you know he wanted them to play more free and there there is a narrative to this of one it made them kind of realize like wow we need to to kick it in gear and and play our way a little more Uh, And two, it made them realize they need to play more free. So we'll kind of dissect those points one, two. Do you feel like sending a message usually works pretty well? And I think in this case, Jackson, there's a little bit of luck on the Pacer side that it was a back-to-back because they didn't have time to like sulk on it or think about it or have to have a team meeting. It was just like, all right, we're flying back. We're playing the Hornets the next day, or excuse me, the Pelicans the next day, New Orleans, you know, you can forget those team names. You know, just just forget about it. Just forget about it and play the next day. You know, that doesn't happen very often in the NBA. It's like, for each franchise, probably once every three seasons. Do you feel like it's a thing that's usually this successful? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I didn't
0: love the move in the moment. You know, not playing. I think you know. I don't know if the Patriots would have won that game if they would have gone back to their starters. But um you know, obviously, it helped as as we mentioned that Jeremy Lamb and Brad Wanamaker caught fire, and, and maybe Rick Carlisle deserves some credit for rolling with those guys in that sense. But um I didn't love it the moment. But obviously, something something changed. But also, as we mentioned, like Carlisle changed approach, right? Like it wasn't just the players figuring it out on their own. It was that Carlisle constructed a game plan that was better tailored to his player's strengths, which is important too. So um, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I have to, you know, have to go back and, you know, think about all the times that the, you know, players or coaches have done something like that. Um, Not to that degree. I mean, sitting your starter for 20 straight minutes is, is a very loud and clear message um, that doesn't happen very often in my, in my recollection. Um, So I didn't love it at the moment, but obviously something worked. Um, But at the same time, it was, it was a, it was a symbiotic thing, right? It wasn't just that like, they went out and played the same way Carlisle wanted to, him. Carlisle adjusted. So um, I guess kudos to them. But, I, yeah, again, I didn't love it at the moment. But you know, Carlisle is most, vastly more basketball than I do, which I tweeted about. But, uh, I, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan, but something worked. And so hopefully hopefully, Carlisle, like the players that resonates with them, but Carlisle also realizes, okay, we get someone that's in the right spots. We're going to look better. And it obviously helps that the, the Pelicans are down on their luck in, in many ways right now, given the injuries and all that.
1: Yeah, that, so Carlisle said after the Hornets game, he was like, this is on me. Like, I did not have these guys prepared to play. And, look, you watch the game. Like, that, that's, maybe that's a little true, but that's a lot of coach speak. Like, they sucked. Like, you, <laughs> they weren't trying that hard, and their system was kind of weird. So maybe some mental and, and tactical preparations fell a little short. But, like, there was a lot of effort gaps from players that you're like, uh, you know, I appreciate you falling on the sword as the coach. But I don't know if I buy that. And so you kind of look and go, well, that's weird that he said that. But then he, he, he backed up his talk the next day by being a different coach against the Pelicans and saying, play more free, play your game. I'm going to be more hands-off. Sabonis said some of it was like he was calling a lot of plays on this stretch they had, Knicks, Pistons, Hornets. He was calling more plays in the game than he usually has against the Pelicans. He said, no, I'm not going to do that as much. And they kicked some butt. And you're right, the Pelicans are, are what they are. They're pretty bad. Uh, so maybe that's just a, a lucky timing of game after a, a message sent kind of performance. But you know, it's a weird thing where I disagree with him when he says it and then he does something about it and it works and all the players respond to it really well. So yeah, like you said, Carlisle knows better than we do, right? We're talking on a podcast for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I, yeah. So I just, that's the thing is it'd be, it'd be, it'd be one thing, right? If they just played the same way they did a the day prior and they they beat a team that was, you know, down Devontae Graham and, and Zion Williamson, and I think maybe some other guys are are out. Um, it's just not a great roster behind their superstar and, and whatnot. Actually, I think it's an okay roster, but you know, when you don't have a top 20 player, you're gonna be struggling. But anyhow, like if you one thing that they just beat a bad team and played the same way, but they play differently and beat a bad team comfortably. Like there's you would hope that you know when the Pacers play Monday against the Bulls that they continue to do that, especially because it looks like you know, I don't want to get ahead of it. But like, I don't know about Vucevic's status, which means the Bulls will be playing small a lot. So, there's, I mean, there's another team, right, that the Bulls are playing playing small significantly or, or without Vuce a ton. Uh, I mean, even when Vuce is off the floor when he's healthy, uh, they're small. So, uh, another chance to, you know, continue to exploit a, a team that is, you know, a rotation that is small in the interior. So, um, you have to play that way again, right? You can't just revert back. Um, you have to learn from it. So, um, yeah, there's definitely some luck involved with it, but... Um, yeah, it's just it's just so interesting to say yeah it's it's all on me but uh, something you do something the coaches are different and then it looks different uh, so you got to sustain that especially because it's a great opportunity to do that against you know Bulls opponent you're not playing a tall ball team you know on Monday so uh, they should have a good good opportunity to replicate what they did in, in, in some ways obviously the Bulls are much better than the Pelicans but uh, a good opportunity to keep playing that way.
1: Jackson, I have just learned that Luke Walton has been fired uh, by the Kings, unsurprisingly. So. Everyone, here's my live reaction to that. I'm not surprised at all. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> Something else interesting that's happened, and I just kind of mentioned it with Sabonis, is pace. The pace of the Pacers. Man, that's mouthful. Has been weird this season. Like it, it, Sometimes it's been their biggest successor. Like Carlisle said against the Kings, who play really fast. Ironic that I just brought up Luke Walton. They tried to slow it down because the Kings play fast. They controlled that pace. They win. They tried to play fast against the Jazz. They controlled that pace. They win. And then this week they play a team in the Hornets who play so fast and they tried to slow it down like against the Kings. Didn't work at all, right? Pistons, young team, they play a little fast, tried to slow it down, didn't work. Knicks, I get the slow pace thing. They were winning for most of that game before they blew it. Whatever. They lost three games in a row. Pace control has been a big thing for this team. And, and Carlisle talked about how after defensive rebounds – they were last in the league in time of possession, like the slowest possessions after defensive rebounds. And for a team that was really good in transition under Nate Bjorkren last year, one of the few things Bjorkren did that was really effective, I was surprised to see that that, that was the or hear that, that was the case. I didn't know that stat. So what do you think of pace control and how much it impacts winning a game? And do you feel like that's something the Pacers can kind of lean towards just playing a little faster? I talked about Sabonis emphasizing transition more per his own words. You know, how much can that kind of turn them around as they go forward?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I I really don't have a, a great answer. I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that, like, Sabonis, you know, was, was good, you know, leading some breaks, you know, against the Pelicans, but, you know, he's a guy who can be kind of hit or miss there, right? Like, he can get sloppy, he can kind of dribble himself into precarious situations. Um, then you have a guy like Karis Levert, who's, you know, can be pretty dynamic transition with the speed and, and ball handling and, you know, passing vision there. But, um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon can, can do something, but he likes, he likes to dictate things and be a little slower and, you know, work, wind his way around the screen, you know, 12 seconds into the shot clock. Um, so, so I, I, I kind of, I like the idea of, you know, being able, being malleable, you know, pace wise, but at the same time, I think some sort of consistency can help a team too, right? It's tough to one game you're playing at the fourth highest pace in the league. The other, you're done a 22nd. I think, you know, I get why you would do that based on matchups, but I think it can create some inconsistencies and just, you tough. If you're starting possession, 12 seconds into the clock, that changes maybe what action you can run versus 17 seconds into the clock, right? Or seven seconds, excuse me. Um, so I, I get it, but I, but I would hope that there may be a little less, a little less variance. Like you gotta, because if you're changing things based on the opponent, you're already like, like I get it, but, you're kind of, I don't want to say play into their hands, but you want to be the aggressor, right? You want to be the one that is, you know, dictating things. So I think it's probably a little worth, more worthwhile to find a pace that works for your most, your, your key players and stick with it rather than, you know, changing game by game, even if there's been times effective for the Pacers.
1: I agree with a lot of that. And I, you know, in basketball in general, you always want to be, you always want the other team to be reacting to you, not yeah. the other way around. So like if the way you're controlling the pace makes the other team decide do they need to, Change their normal pace, then it works. But if, like what happened this week against Detroit and Charlotte, they try to change the game pace and it doesn't work at all, then you fall flat on your face because now you're intentionally playing a little out of character, and it's not working. So, I agree with a lot of what you just said, and it, it, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to talk about pace because pace doesn't always mean good or bad. Like faster is not always better, and slower is yeah. always worse. So, it, it, it's just finding the right pace for your team, and I think for the Pacers, that the, their speed has been too slow. During this, this rough week prior to stomping the Pelicans. So, you know, hearing Carlisle talk about getting that focus right and playing more free. And sometimes it's that easy. You just tell guys we're too rigid player game uh, and it helps again. They were playing the Pelicans and had the freedom to do that, but it really helped them. It turned, it turned their performance around. They look great on both ends and they look good. One last break. So I can tell you guys about the good folks over at Bill Bar because I love Thanksgiving. I'm psyched that it's it this week. Tons of good food and treats. They're everywhere. But maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. That's where Built Bar comes in, the best-tasting protein bar ever and the new holiday dessert. They are 100% covered in chocolate, delicious, delicious protein bar. So many Lockdown Pacers listeners have told me that they've tried them and they're hooked. One slice of pie, 300 calories at minimum, likely way more. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, plenty of protein, and just as good. Coconut cream pie Built Bar instead of the actual pie. Raspberry Built Bar instead of raspberry pie. They're all delicious. You got to try them. Great option when you're hungry. They can be a meal replacement, a good snack. I've used them for both before. You can share them with your family at gatherings. Make everybody try them. They're delicious. They have new flavors coming out all month. They've got a Black Friday deal coming up this week, so get excited for that. And you can try them yourself. Go to built.com. Use the promo code locked15. You'll get 15% off your order that is locked15 for 15% off at built.com. All right, tonight we have Pacers Bulls. And you just wrote about the Bulls. This is perfect. Timing in their defense. And the Bulls' defense is fascinating. And I have to tell on myself because I screwed up with the Bulls. I thought their defense would suck because I only thought about their high profile players, where like Levine's notorious. His, his is more reputation than effect. He's a better defender than his rep, but not necessarily considered a great defender. Same with the Rose. And vucevic is all right, but slow foot speed. You just think of the stars, but like they have Caruso and Patrick williams even though he's not playing, who are good defenders, and, and some other guys who are stepping in and playing. Very solid defense to them. And their defense was actually like 16th or 17th last year. Like not not that bad, right? And they added Caruso to that. It's like you – know, it, it was lazy for me. I was wrong. Hand Both hands are up for you YouTube <laughs> watchers. Both hands are up. I was wrong about the Bulls defense. And Jackson just wrote about it. So first of all, tell everyone why the small Bulls are having so much success on defense this year.
0: Yeah. I mean I, I think I – like I probably was like I was high on the bulls, but a lot of it was because of the offense. Like I thought they would be okay on defense because Billy Donovan has a track record of you know, we were talking about like fitting like tailoring schemes to players to the track record of doing that. He's not necessarily the most innovative, but he 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 plays a way that that makes sense um for his players, you know, across the few the two teams he's coached now in the NBA. Uh maybe I don't know, is this he's only been two teams? I know, like recently, but anyhow, uh, thunder and thunder and bulls as of late i will say um what they do is like every one of their rotation every one of their players in the rotation maybe save you know levine this year who i think has been okay um has been like a, a notably positive defender D- D- derosen like has notoriously been very poor in his career but this year's actually been pretty impressive especially as a like he's active in help and he has size and and length and so that that you play attentively. You can make things happen at that size as a wing. So, um, what they do is they're really, really aggressive. Um, they're helping at the nail a ton. They're digging down in the post. The rotations are incredible. Like, I don't think I've seen a team maybe save for the Warriors that make better rotations than they do this year. Um, like they'll they'll double in the post, or they'll you know, a guy will drive and they'll help off and they'll quickly recover the shooter. Uh, or maybe if a guy gets gets downhill, there's another rotation and they're helping the helper. Um, so they're selling out a ton. They create a ton, a ton of turnovers. When I wrote that piece early, earlier last week, early last week, I think they were like fifth in turnover rate. Um, I don't know if they're still quite there after a couple more games, but they're they're doing they're still doing that a ton. Um, and then it fuels their offense. Uh, you know, we didn't even mention Lonzo Ball. Lonzo has been awesome this year on defense in general. Um, two areas that I thought he kind of struggled with throughout his career were like playing with physicality on defense and getting over screens. And he's been awesome in those regards. Um, his defense against Julius Randall and their loss to the Knicks uh, a few weeks ago was really key in kind of bringing them to, back to almost win that one. So, um, super handsy, aggressive switch a lot, um, they're, they they take risks, but they they have backline help. They just they figure things out. And Vooch, for all of his limitations, is really sound positionally and uses his hands really well. Um, Javante Green's been awesome. Derrick Jones Jr. is creating a ton of havoc on defense with his length and inability ability to cover ground. So um, they'll have trouble against teams that have size and are really good passing teams. Like you know, obviously they were missing Vooch against the Warriors, but the Warriors are a great passing team, and they kind of picked picked that apart. They're de- they want you to. They the Bulls want you to try and make that really tough skip pass through four defenders, or you know maybe like the, the, the Luca's of the world who can like you know, manipulate the tagger, um, and so a lot of teams aren't capable of that. Uh, but that's kind of how you can beat them. And you know, the Bulls have some size in the interior, so I'm not saying they're gonna like totally or the pay, yeah the from side. I'm not saying they're totally gonna dominate the, the Bulls defense, but there's some sort there's a little bit of exploitation there that most opponents
1: don't have. The best part of the article is your your captions for the clips. Complimentary players doing stuff is, is <laughs> my favorite clip of the article. Yeah, yeah, the Bulls, it's like, I look at the Bulls roster and I'm like, how is Javante Green a positive defender all of a sudden? It's like, how did they do this? You know, it's the Billy Donovan effect. He's, he gets a lot out of these kind of guys, but they're getting a lot of that kind of stuff where guys that you didn't expect to play a time for them. Javante Green is starting, playing 20 minutes a game like that's yeah, really nice he's been, he's been
0: awesome he just plays super hard he fights over screens he's he's rangy he gets out on transition they just have they just have all these athletes and then they they get stops one of them forces a turnover and then Lonzo and Levine are running the break or DeRozan and they're they're throwing lobs and leaking out for threes and yeah Javante has been awesome I didn't you know he didn't play a ton in, in Boston but he's been so so fun this year it's been it's been cool to see him you know really find a role in you know, I don't think they, they haven't really missed, you know, it's it's obviously a bummer that Patrick Williams is out for a litany of reasons, but they haven't really missed him yet. Uh, maybe they would be nice to have a little more, you know, size in the front court, but um, Derek Jones Jr., Javante, you know, have really been able to kind of fill his absence admirably.
1: And Io and Tony Bradley are giving them, like, capable minutes. Like, what? (laughs) What? How? Like, you know, Tony Bradley was okay in his career sometimes, but it's just so surprising the way they've been getting a lot out of these guys. Somehow I didn't even mention Lonzo when talking about the guys they got (laughs) that helped their defense too. I mean, they they added a lot of guys. It was very lazy for me to assume their defense would be bad. And, you know, I I do think people were a little too low on their offense. Like, you're right that when you have, like, four guys who can create really good shots – for themselves any It's like, how do you guard that really well? So their defense has been surprising to me, but I was mostly just wrong. But they're third and east for a reason. They're really good. But I think, Vuj, you nailed that. It might be the biggest swing thing that makes... You know, I, I'd still favor the Bulls just to get ahead of this. But this game possible for the Pacers as a win is... He's in COVID protocols. He has been since the 11th, uh, or the 10th. I, one of those two days. I don't remember how the reporting exactly works with that. But it's 10 days out for sure. That would be today for recording or yesterday for you listening. Uh, and so you covered. Well, the I, think, I think he he's he's vaccinated. So I think he just needs two
0: negative tests if, from whatever. So, oh. so, so I, but I mean, I, I mean, I haven't heard anything yet, but I think, you know, if he got two two negative tests in the span of 24 hours, he would be. Cleared to play. I
1: thought positive
0: tests were always ten days. I could be wrong about that. I, I don't it, actually know if he was it's, positive. It's murky. I don't. I don't know. It's, it's some, trying to find all the the language and the the protocols on that for vaccinated players has been. They didn't necessarily distinguish greatly among that part of like they distinguish well. You know what vaccinated versus unvaccinated players can do on road trips and all that, but it's been tougher. But I, but from what I know, because Joel Embiid is you know for the Sixers is vaccinated. And he's he's been out for almost. He's been out like two weeks now, unfortunately. But he it was for him two just two negative tests in twenty four hours. So. Um, um, Vooch from what I've read report wise is, is vac- I think all the entire bulls team is vaccinated. Um, so we would just need two negative tests, but, um, point being is, you know, the earliest can come back is, is tomorrow, regardless of that. Right. right. So.
1: Well, I was going to bring up beat because when they, Philly was in Indy, Doc Rivers said something like, yeah, even right at 10 days, like Joel can't play right away. You know, he, he hasn't run for 10 days. He's been with the team. Like it takes a second to get into that. You know, back to that. I don't. I don't remember exactly how he phrased. It. He might have even been talking about someone else because the 6 two. Well, like and that's, that's
0: weird too because Tobias Harris. You know, is is you know has been reported as vaccinated. And he got he contracted COVID and he was only out ten days on the dot. Like I think his first game he missed was Isaiah Joe too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So like that's the thing is like those guys all missed. 10, Those both two guys missed ten days on the dot. Uh, and at least I don't know Isaiah stats vaccination wise, but Tobias is on. Like it's been reported that he's vaccinated. He missed ten days, so it's weird that like Doc was saying that about Joel, but not Tobias, who you know was also symptomatic because he because Doc had talked earlier about you know at one point like Tobias was really struggling with you know going through with some symptoms. So I, I don't know. Doc is kind of notoriously interesting with, with media, but um, yeah, it was weird to hear that he was talking about that with Joel, whereas Tobias came back ten days on the dot and then was awesome against the Pacers a couple of days later. So I, I I don't know. It's 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 a weird situation with MB and, you know, uh, that's how it always is, unfortunately, with you know and I wouldn't say unfortunately, just how it always is with, with MB in his absences with you know, the team is pretty hush hush on those things. But yeah. We're talking, somehow we're talking about the Sixers and it's a Pacers. Thing, so.
1: <laughs> you cover them. You can't it's like when someone asks me about a Pacers question, I go way too long. It's just how it is. I have lots of information and thoughts on this stuff. For Vucevic, maybe he's back, maybe he's not. He hasn't played since the 11th. That I can say factually. So, or since the 10th. Gosh, I was just wrong about something I said. Anyway, if he doesn't play, you just mentioned this earlier, the Pagers will have a size advantage somewhere. It might be Miles, it might be Domas, whatever the one center is. They even played Goga solo center on Saturday. There will be times when they have a a big size advantage. Even like Tony Bradley can't play the whole game, and you know Alize Johnson might be there. Their backup center for a little bit, former pacer. I just wanted to say his name. mostly. of you know, they <laughs> they David they won't have the, to the, get the re- five at, at times. Yeah, they won't have the resources to really defend those guys. So if Vooch does play, they have better resources there. Although Savonis has done very well against Vucevic historically, which is strange. That's not like an it doesn't look like an awesome matchup on paper, but it has been. But I think that that is where the Pacers can kind of keep up a little bit. Is Play through Sabonis again, you know. Keep that free-flowing style going, working, and, and use him as their fulcrum with size that the Bulls don't have.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, re- yeah, regardless of Vuce's status, I think you know you're going to want to, especially with the you know run through Sabonis a lot, but also like I think you would want to limit Karis LeVert's on-ball reps in, in this game just because he's notoriously a inconsistent decision maker. I would say. Uh, and the bulls the perimeter defense will just, you know, eat that up. Like Brogdon is, you know, Brogdon is a much more steady decision maker. And so and has, you know, better, he's, he's he's stronger too. And so he can kind of, you know, maybe keep Lonzo and Caruso at bay a little better. So, um, that would be the other thing is I think you want to run a ton of stuff through, through Sabonis and Brogdon, which is what you want to do every game for the Pacers. But especially in a game like this, where, you know, the bulls might be really, really, you know, able to take advantage of Levert's inconsistent decision making and shooting, you know, maybe the, the all those off balance leaners and runners that could, you know, that it sometimes fall, sometimes don't, could fuel a lot of transition for the bulls. So, um, of course, yes, you want the ball to go through the basket and slow a team that's dynamic in transition like the bulls, but, um, you can also maybe make it, easier on yourself if you don't run as much through Levert which I don't know, I'm I've always been a little bit lower on Levert's game but I think in the in this specific matchup you want to make him kind of a guy who's attacking off the catch and you know using his speed in that way
1: yeah I was really high on Levert going into this season and so far uh, all my stock is getting drained <laughs> I am going broke on Levert because man is he really struggled this really struggled this season like I, I did a lazy analysis plus minus earlier, but I've I've messaged a few people that i talked to about the Pacers a lot being like, Levert being this bad is like 60% of their problems right now. <laughs> like, if he was just shooting 50%, they would have won twice this week, more than they did. So it, he, he's been struggling, and I agree that that could be important in this game. We talked about pace control and being reactionary. The Bulls are so dynamic in transition. Like, you don't want them to be running out on misses all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So do you, do you want to be playing slow into their hands. Maybe that works like it did against the Kings. Maybe it doesn't like it did all week. I don't know how they want to play it, but it's going to be interesting. And I don't know where they can get a huge advantage elsewhere. Alonzo has done well against Brogdon historically. Turner's played well against the Bulls, but that was against the Jim Boylan era. What the hell are they doing against screen coverage Bulls and not so much in the new era? Bulls and the, the Pacers bench hasn't been as good. Maybe TJ McConnell can be a guy that kind of gets them moving, although their perimeter defense is so good. I don't really know. So it kind of is... It's so single scoped, but maybe Sabonis really is the key in this game. Like if, if the Bulls can throw him off, it might be that easy that they just win if they do that.
0: Yeah, and I think Turner, especially, is a guy who this isn't a great matchup because, you know, what you know, where he is great is you no know, getting the, you know, taking those threes or when the ball swings his way, he's got the up fake or just the rip and go. Uh, the Bulls aren't gonna like give him those like those those like crevices of space or whatever to get, to get to the rim. Cause he's been so improved as a driver the last couple of years off the catch, but the bulls are going to you know crowd his handle when he puts the ball on the deck, they're going to rotate at the rim. And obviously Turner is, is bigger, but he's not like, he's not, he's not some like hulking center. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's, it's really going to cut like Sabonis is going to be really key. And that's, you know, ties back to what we talked about throughout this, this episode is like, it means using him properly. Like there's, there is a clear way. There's a clear advantage with your best player, uh, or you know whatever you want to call it, Sabonis, you know, cl- key key player, um your all-star. Uh, but you have to use him in the proper way, like you did against the Pelicans, not like you did against against the Hornets. So um really curious to see how that plays out. But there you know, I, I agree that if Vooch doesn't play, then yeah, the bull I would say this is a game that could be could be pretty fun interesting, and interesting a clear opportunity for the Pacers to win and you know win two in a row. Um, but if Vooch plays it makes it a little tougher. Uh, regardless of Vooch's status, how Carlisle uses Sabonis is kind of what this game is going to hinge on if Vooch doesn't play, especially. So um I guess that kind of as an oxymoron. I said, regardless of Vooch's status, and then Sabonis, if if the bull if Vooch doesn't play, the Bulls can win at the use of or the spacer can win at the use of Sabonis properly. My goodness, that was a word salad. Anyhow, <laughs> I, will, I will kick it
1: back to you as a host. I was I was cratering well, now. I, I've had all the points I don't really talk about for this game. I have only caught the bulls, I think, three or four times. You know what I hate sometimes is when really good teams are in the Pacers' division because they play at the same time. Like, I struggled to watch the Bucks a lot last year because they played the same time as the Pacers. They're never on national TV. Thankfully, the Bulls are on national TV enough that I can get them a few times, but it's sometimes frustrating when these teams are – Evan Mobley, I've had a ton of trouble getting Evan Mobley time because they play the same time as the Pacers for like 90% of their games. It's very annoying. I'm very behind on the Bulls, so I'm glad that you were here <laughs> to help me walk through – my limited Chicago knowledge, Jackson. Where can people follow you and all your stuff? That I'll let you decide what you should and should <laughs> not share of your numerous outlets.
0: Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore J J F. Everywhere I write and podcast about the NBA is included in my bio. But specifically, if you are not on Twitter and you still want to find my work, I write for Basketball News, Dime Up Rocks, The Analyst, and Liberty Ballers, and I also do podcasting once or twice a week with Liberty Ballers. So all of my work is at those spots, and then these, and I am always on Twitter posting clips and saying obnoxious things but you can find all my my non-obnoxious things maybe if i'm a work obnoxious but you can find it at those at those places i listed
1: an nba must follow jackson and i have been on twitter together for like four years now my God, yeah I my god <laughs> i consider <Winter laughs> friendships are a weird thing but yeah we go back quite a bit highly recommended from me of course this podcast is on twitter at locked on pacers and me at t nba tomorrow we'll be breaking down pacers bowl see if the pacers could find a way to beat one of the Easts. looking like elite team should be pretty fun Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.